This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor of the show, Picmonic. Picmonic is an audiovisual learning system with unforgettable stories and characters to help you remember everything you need to know for PT school and beyond. Used by over 1.5 million students all over the world, Picmonic is perfect for streamlining your studying in an efficient manner. Listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps for a 20% discount, and first-time users can start today for free. Getting access to one learning objective and one Picmonic quiz per day, forever, at zero cost. Available on iOS, Android, and desktop. Once again, listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps at checkout. Happy studying, and let's get right into the show. Hey guys, we'll get started here shortly. Okay, there we go. Hello All right. and welcome to episode seven of Snack Break by OrthoSnacks. I'm your host, John Schaefer. And on this podcast, we interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. My guest today, all the way from New York, um, he has his training from the University of Delaware, both his undergraduate degree, as well as completion of sports residency in 2019. He's had the opportunity to work with NBA G League's Delaware Bluecoats, and he has so many certifications, he can hardly fit them in his Instagram bio. Um, without, excuse me, and uh, his current projects include working in content creation with the prehab guys. Uh, as well as transitioning to doing a lot of ACL training online and kind of bridging and filling the gaps where he sees those are currently present. Without further ado, my guest today, Tommy Mandala. Happy to be here. How you doing, John? Good. So I'd like to kind of start our conversation um, by taking you back to your residency training. And I guess one of the things that I'm most curious about is how did you choose between the sports residency and orthopedic residency? I know that's a question um, a lot of people kind of go back and forth with as they're deciding whether or not to choose a residency. Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and, and what I, you know, what I would say first is um, <clears throat> not every residency is the same and not every, you know, residency experience is the same. And I can't recommend enough the, the residency that I did do at the University of Delaware um, and, and one of one of my mentors there uh, was actually the head of the residency special interest group. Uh, mm -hmm. Her name's Ariel Giordano, um, and she was just made it such an incredible experience for me and all the other residents there, um, both in the orthopedic and and the sports residency there. Um, as far as choosing between the two, um, what I will say is that uh, doing a sports residency allows mm -hmm. you to then sit for your SCS. Um, whereas if you're not an athletic trainer and you don't have an opportunity for field hours outside of residency, it's going to be very hard for you to get the requisite uh, field hours to then sit for your SCS. Um, so in my case, I knew that I wanted to pursue uh, both my SCS and my OCS. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I jumped for that, uh, that. And I wasn't an athletic trainer. I was an exercise physiology major in undergrad. So I wanted that on the field experience. Um, which I got working with, with Delaware teams as well as uh, the G League, as you mentioned, um, was able to sit for my SCS um, and then subsequently the, the OCS. Um, but I, I think for a lot of people who are athletic trainers and have that on the field experience already, um, I, I think the OCS might be a better route and you could still have the opportunity to sit for both if that was something that you wanted to do. Okay, awesome. 
Amen. So I guess another question I have then is, so I see that you got your CSCS a while ago too. Um, what are the biggest differences between the CSCS and the SCS um, in terms of someone who already has one, but maybe isn't sure if, you know, pursuing a CSCS or yes. SCS is worth yes. it. Yes, it's a lot of, a lot of S's. Mouthful. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and um, yeah, no, it, it could be confusing. And honestly, I, I think one big initiative that we as a profession are, are trying to do is, is to make those more relevant, more known in, in the community and even outside of the community. Because mm-hmm. um, I think physical therapists know what an SES is and, and how difficult it is to get that. But as, you know, patients and, and clients often don't really know the, the difference in those things. Um, the CSCS is the gold standard in terms of strength conditioning and, and personal training. Um, and it, it is a, a rigorous test that you need a college degree for it. Um, the SCS, though, is an even higher level. Um, you know, to, to sit for the SCS, you have to have gone through undergrad, gone through PT school, um, and then either been residency trained or accumulated enough mentored hours and on-field hours um, to be able to then sit for the test. Um, so the, the SES is a little more of a like board specialty, almost the way that you would get as a mm-hmm. physician. So what do you, do you have any recommendations in terms of, I guess, communicating that value to your patients or is that not necessarily something that you think is appropriate? It's more through your actions than anything you would say. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. I think, I think that's a great initiative for us as a profession. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the APTA is trying to do that. They're actually trying to get away from saying SES. They're trying to get more towards saying uh, board certified specialist mm-hmm. in sports. Um, so I think that's a great initiative for the profession. And I think we should absolutely do that. Um, but I don't feel it incumbent upon me to, to educate individual, <laughs> individual patients. Um, mm-hmm. You know how hard I had to work for these letters. Um, <laughs> So I don't think that's, you know, because I, I think it, it shows, you know, in, in the experience you can give a patient um, and, and, you know, hopefully they're able to, to, to see that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, I think I meant more in terms of if there's any way you can market yourself a little bit with that in a way that's not so in your face. Yeah. Kind of like you're no, saying, but. No, that's but a yeah. good question. Um, uh, I, I think one thing we figured out is that uh, or that I've seen, especially with the, the rise in social media and things like that, is that patients really care more about what you can do for them and the, and the outcomes you're going to help them achieve uh, more so than, you know, letters and, and things that we as clinicians often care about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess my next question then is following the residency, what was your initial plan? Yeah, so I, I had a I had one goal in mind being from New York City, I'd always wanted to work at the hospital for special surgery, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, top orthopedic hospital in the country in New York City. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough to, to step into to that role at the hospital for special surgery. Um, and I had an incredible experience. Um, and, it, and it really was, you know, my dream job. Um, and, and I worked there, uh, you know, for a good period of time as um, and then this kind of just took off, leading, leading me to, to, to take this all on ACL uh, business full time. Mm-hmm. Sure. So maybe for those who aren't as familiar with the hospital, what's the typical population you're working with? Is it more athletes or what's? 
Yeah, so so Hospital for Special Surgery is a, a standalone hospital in New York City that's exclusively orthopedic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have different services. They have a sports service and an orthopedic, uh, an orthoplasty service, um, mm-hmm. those being the two main ones. And then uh, different uh, spe- subspecialties beyond that. Um, and what's really cool about it there is that they have different PT clinics. So one PT clinic that gets specifically referrals from the the arthroplasty or joint replacement doctors. Um, and then mm-hmm. one clinic that gets, you know, specifically from the sports service. Um, so the clinic I was in was working with the sports service um, and got to see a lot of doctors who, who specialize in ACL, ACL surgeries um, and got a lot of experience seeing just, you know, a ton of surgical knees that would take, you know, most clinicians years and years to accumulate. You know, we mm-hmm. got to see, you know, over the course of weeks and months. Yeah, I think that's something that's been a little bit bizarre for me, too, is through my first um, 20 weeks of clinic, I've only seen one ACL repair. Wow. So, so it's not something I have a lot of hands-on experience with, and that's why I think it's cool that you can follow people on social media and things like that um, to get you know a little bit of that experience. Um, but so I guess when did you first realize you know that the ACL was the part of the body that interests you the most that you're gonna have the biggest impact yeah so uh it was funny because it uh, my experience kind of uh, built that so I'd always had an interest in knees my father had a lot of knee problems um and he always Mm -hmm. tells this story that um he had surgery it wasn't an ACL but it was a meniscus surgery um mm-hmm. and when he woke up from the surgery you know they they told him oh we'll get you back to like a somewhat normal life and he was like uh this jacked like 30 year old firefighter <laughs> who was like what do you mean somewhat normal life um and he was like you know wasn't sure you know he was really struggling with his knee after that um until he finally found it was actually a doctor not a physical therapist who told him like mm-hmm. no matter what you do you have to build up your quads and you really have to you know, hit that knee extension machine and slowly progressively overload and build up your quads. And it like totally changed his life. You know, if, if he, it's like a butterfly flaps its wings. If he had, hadn't had that guidance, he was able to, you know, continue working out the rest of his life and, and still is working out, you know, hard mm-hmm. to this day. And, and I just saw what an impact that made having the right guidance. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to, to learn at the University of Delaware, which really specializes in ACL rehab, and has some of the top producers of, of ACL rehab research in, in Dr. Snyder Mackler mm-hmm. and Ariel Giordano, who I mentioned, um, as well as a lot of other people who've gone through there. Um, and it was cool for me to see the research kind of confirm my, my pre-existing biases that mm-hmm. strength really solves a, a lot of problems. Um, and, and learning that and seeing it, um, and then having the opportunity to be at different places like uh, like HSS, um, and then previously at Champion Sports Medicine in Alabama, where we had a biodex and we were testing uh, other people's patients from all over the world, um, oh, cool. or at least they're all over the area. Mm-hmm. I got to really see how you know just how much that hadn't trickled out in- into the population, and how many mm-hmm. ACL patients really weren't getting um, weren't getting the care they needed, and weren't getting the the progressions they need. Um, or that expert guidance, like you said, it, you know, it's very hard to treat an ACL if you only see one, you know, one a year and, and you're in your final rotations. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it could be really hard if you don't have experience with that. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to start working with prehab um, and, you know, 
I had opportunities to write blogs and go on podcasts with those guys. Um, and every time I did, I always found myself just, you know, talking about ACL rehab. Um, <laughs> it would just always kind of come up. They would be like, you know, what do you want to write about? I'd be like, can I talk about this different topic you know, with ACLs? <laughs> and, and then I was on, you know, some of their podcasts and, and had a couple of people reach out to me asking more questions about it. Um, and it just kind of got my wheels turning about, you know, how much this was, this was really missed. Sure. So how did that um, relationship kind of start for you with the prehab connection? Um, it, so it was pretty crazy. Um, they, I think they posted something way back when about like, uh, I can't remember. They posted a job, a job posting that was like a job I didn't want, but it was like something that was like, I don't know, something that wasn't that interesting to me, but I was like, oh, these yeah. guys are cool. It was like during the pandemic, I had a lot of time. So I like applied for it and reached out and I interviewed with, with Mike and I talked to him for a while and was pretty honest mm -hmm. with him. And he was super cool. And at the end of the interview, he was like, dude, you sound like super passionate about, um, you know, pr like producing content and, and things like that. Would you be more interested in a role like that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's exactly what I'd like to do. Um, <laughs> that's way, way more up my alley. Um, and, and they gave me an opportunity. I, I wrote a few things for them that they liked and, um, and I've been, you know, continuing to produce content for them since. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like the more conversations you have with genuine people, the more you kind of understand, you know, what you want, what your goals are. So that's awesome. Um, I guess we can kind of go off that then. So one of the, I guess, bigger, more known articles that I've seen several times on the prehabs website that you've written is what's missing in ACL rehab. Um, so for those who haven't read the article, could you give like a short summary uh, maybe what you think the biggest components are and why those are getting missed by clinicians. Yeah. So, and, and I want to be clear, I, I, and it, it, you're really looking at the article. It's one of the biggest things is, is first, not what's missed by clinicians, right? I, Cause my initial, I, what I felt like I identified um, and, and not just me, you know, other people, we would always talk about it, you know, colleagues of mine who saw a lot of ACLs, we would talk about, you know, just, the the progression in the clinic almost doesn't make sense right mm -hmm. like we tell people you're supposed to you're supposed to have this should be a nine to 12 month rehab right um and in an ideal circumstance you get someone at you know 80 to 90 percent quad strength at mm -hmm. you know three four months you take them through um running you take them through running jumping uh cutting all of those progressions well, you're not going to let them go back to sport for, you know, nine months, nine to 12 months, right? Most mm -hmm. people with insurance-based care run out of insurance visits in four, five, six months, right? And then even beyond that, people who don't run out, you know, our options are say, well, they probably don't need to come into the clinic twice a week, but they do need us to progress them and guide them. So, you know, maybe you have them come in once a month and you'll try and program out for them over the course of that next month. Um, and I found even with my own clients when I was in the, in the clinic, it was really hard for something not to happen in that month where you would program out for them in a month and inevitably life gets in the way. They'd, they'd fall off for a minute. Um, they'd lose motivation. They'd go on a vacation or they'd, you know, I'd be like, ah, this was bothering me. So I stopped doing it. I wasn't sure what to do. And I was like, you know, this is really just not that great of a system. There's, there's got to be a better way for us to fill that gap, even if someone gets awesome rehab uh, from, you know, month one to four to how do we get them then from month four to 12 and, and successfully get back on the field. Um, and one thing I do want to say is that when it's high school and college athletes, 
if you have, you know, athletic trainers that, you know, athletic trainers and strength conditioning mm -hmm. specialists that you work closely with, they absolutely can fill that role. Um, but the reality is, is for, you know, most, uh, you know, people who are past that point, anyone who's pretty much 24 and older that, you know, I don't, I don't really, no one seemed to be able to verbalize to me what the solution was for them. Um, so I, I do want to say that, you know, that what's missing in ACL rehab is really something that's missing in kind of the, the system itself. Um, but research wise, you are right that, uh, you know, it's unfortunate to say, and I don't want to say this as a, a knock on our profession, but there is a, a lot of, you know, up to date research that we have for, for ACL rehab and care and, and best practices mm -hmm. that are not being implemented. Um, so we know, uh, you know, we know that the best criteria for return to sport is quad strength greater than 90%. We know that's the number one predictor of re-injury. Um, we know that you can, uh, decrease your risk that every 1% increase in quad strength relative to your uninvolved side decreases your risk, um, by, I believe it was 3% within like mm -hmm. two years, which is just an astronomical stat. And yet we still see that, uh, only 60% of ACL patients achieved, uh, that return to sport goal of greater than 90% quad symmetry at two years post-op. So mm -hmm. there's just this mismatch between what's, you know, what's happening out in the population um, and what we know to be, to be best practice. Yeah, <clears throat> those are all great points. Um, something I guess I'm pretty curious about just from some of the research I've done, I have mentioned I did an in-service where I used a lot of information from both your Instagram account as well as things you've written. Um, but just in terms of practicality for the best way to take some of those objective measurements for patients who are looking to return to sport following ACL injury, um, I know you can use things like force plates if you want to measure the rate of force production. Um, but I mean, those are super expensive. And <clears throat> the more we're seeing with manual muscle testing and possible inconsistencies, um, especially across clinicians, what's the best way to get uh, objective data when you're measuring quad strength for these patients. Yeah, so that was a super diplomatic way of saying uh, possible in inconsistencies. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'll, I'll be more blunt. The reality is, is, is kicking into someone's hand with your quads. No one can tell, like we know from, I think there's a great distinction to be made in the difference of like, we have evidence for something we don't have evidence for something yet and we we have evidence against it right we have really good evidence that there's really no consistency to manual muscle testing um it's standardized but we there's no consistency to it and there's no real way that you should be able to tell if you know with how strong someone's quad needs to be the diff those minute dis differences of even up to 20 40 50 percent everyone's quad should be stronger than your arm um but you're absolutely right. There's a lot of awesome technology out there. Um, and of course, the Biodex is still the gold standard. Um, and things like force <clears throat> plates and, and different systems that are evolving and the research is evolving to, to show their usefulness to us um, mm -hmm. it is really helpful. But just basic, uh, you know, something as simple as one rep max testing on a knee extension machine, um, which there's a paper by actually a former Delaware resident, uh, mm -hmm. shout out to Anthony Sinecor, um, who published uh, that paper correlating that to the gold standard. And it's not a perfect correlation, um, 
but considering the Biodex is, you know, a $36,000 machine that very few people have access to, um, at least that one rep max testing is giving you really, uh, you know, a solid correlation and, and certainly a baseline. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we worry too much about uh, the decorations or like the, the hood ornaments, looking at force plates. And, and we talk so much about these, these higher level things, but we know that, um, you know, simple decision rules can reduce your risk of ACL retear by 84%. So one of the things I really tried to highlight in that blog is like, we as clinicians are often not doing the basics. Um, like where there's evidence out there for these simple things that we're just simply missing. Um, you know, even and, and force plates and all of that stuff are, are great. But, you know, we need to really nail down the foundational stuff. And that stuff is on top of it. Mm hmm. And then, so I guess kind of a follow-up question that would be, if you're doing a lot of training for um, patients and athletes online, how, how are you measuring, you know, objectively whether or not they're making progress? What are some of the things that you've found to be helpful? Yeah, so, I mean, first off, just tracking their strength, right? Um, there's a mm -hmm. lot we could do with video analysis now as well. Um, and then just tracking their strength on, uh, on the different machines they use. Um, and then finally, I, I do use that, uh, that one rep max testing and, and find it to be extremely helpful um, in, in guiding our progression. Um, and I use it, you know, the way that we correlate it in that paper to, to, success, with, um, to success with running and return to sport. Okay, awesome. Um, and then, so I guess I'd kind of like to transition more towards what you're doing online now. Um, so I always like to do a deep dive on whoever I'm going to interview. And uh, so it looks like April 18th came along and you switched your, you switched <laughs> your Instagram handle, no longer Tommy Mandela. Um, and you've transitioned to this all in ACL. What were you kind of thinking at that point in time? Did you have any idea it was going to become what it is now? And kind of, I guess, what were your goals at the time? Yeah. So um, that's a great question and a great catch. Yeah. Um, April, it, it has evolved, yeah, like crazy, insanely quickly. And so I, I did, I got to say, I did, I did believe in it. I really did think, um, you know, I did think that this was a need out there and a, and a problem that I didn't see a solution for that existed for, for these patients. And I felt like I, I could create a solution uh, for people who didn't have one. Um, so I did believe in it and I really did think it would work. Um, that being said, uh, and that's kind of why I called it all in ACL, because I felt like it was, for me, a mental thing where I really was yep. kind of going all in on it. Um, and, and it's scary to, that, you know, to officially kind of like change your Instagram and be like, all right, I'm putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. um, but I never thought it would uh, uh, explode kind of the way it did. Um, you know, I, 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 th I think I really did create this um, with the idea that for patients who had had awesome rehab. Um, and I, I looked at the flaws in the American system, right? Um, that's one thing that there's, there's flaws in our insurance-based system, but you see a lot of countries that have socialized medicine where I, I have clients in the UK who get, uh, who get physio once every two weeks. Um, and that's just not enough. It's just, you know, it, there's, there's not, it, it's not going to work. I don't understand what, you know, how they can cover a surgery and then not give them what's necessary to help, to help them do that. Um, and, and so, yeah, and starting it to bridge the gap for people who had had awesome uh, care and, and then kind of seeing that, you know, talking to so many different ACLs from all around the country, mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this, there's really a lot of 
you know, poor care being given out there by people who don't see this injury often enough um, and, and, and inexperienced, you know, ACL treatment that can lead to some disastrous results. Um, and, and I've been fortunate to, to have an audience and, and attract a, a more clients than, than I expected this quickly. Um, and, and it's allowed me to kind of take this, take this full time and, and continue to expand it. Yes. And so it sounds like over this last month, you've kind of went all in, you're no longer putting in any time in clinic. This is, this is the main show. Um, so what, I guess what's your, what's your current caseload or what's the goal in terms of, um, the ideal amount of patients to see on this more of a virtual setting? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, um, right now I'm upwards of, uh, I'm floating, you know, close to 40, 50 clients, um, wow. uh, that I work with all ACLers. Um, mm -hmm. so really kind of gives me, you know, a, a, I, you know, even more of an insight into these patients than I felt like I had, uh, previously, just cause I get to kind of, you know, I, and at one time I'm working with that many ACLers, but I'm also talking to, you know, hundreds, uh, you know, a day, just kind of back and forth on Instagram, just hearing from them. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, honestly, I, I, I want to continue to grow this uh, just as to, to, to help continue to meet people's needs. Um, so, you know, whether I, I haven't put together really my vision for continuing to expand this, um, yeah. you know, but it, it, it's getting close to, you know, at, at some point where I'll, I'll look to more fully expand this, but I, I, feel like it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm able to continue to, to help people. So I, I want to keep, keep bringing as many people on that I can, mm -hmm. can fit onto, onto my caseload. That's awesome. So is there any kind of consistency to your weeks or is it kind of all over the place helping people as you can? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, and, and something I'm learning uh, a ton about over this last month. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had like a soft entry into, um, I had a soft entry into uh, uh, not working in the clinic full time because as soon as I left the clinic um, and that was almost easy, right? Because I was in the clinic. I only had so few hours outside the clinic that I just mm -hmm. had to, I didn't really have to do much of my schedule. I just crammed every second. Uh, <laughs> I crammed all an ACL stuff into mm -hmm. every waking second I had outside of work. Um, but then when I finished, I, I uh, actually had an opportunity to, to go on tour um, you with the with a musician um so that kind of was a little bit extended my working experience a little more while i was still able to do this remotely but was kind of working with them for a bit um so i'm just kind of getting used to planning my weeks um and creating that mm -hmm. so i'm trying to create more of a a consistent schedule but I, I would say i just kind of got it down i would say this week honestly <laughs> okay <laughs> You just kind of dropped that you traveled with a musician. What was that all about? Yeah, so I, I guess I could say this because I posted it, you know, on my uh, yeah. on my Instagram. I had the opportunity to go on on tour with Willie Nelson for a bit, which was uh, oh, wow. a pretty incredible experience. Um, he was the nicest guy, and uh, you know, I just got to work with work with him and his family, um, mm -hmm. ride the bus with them, uh, go to go to his shows, which were incredible. Um, and yeah, it was just a blessing, you know, and right timing that as I was, as I was getting, you know, leaving the clinic and, and going full time with this, I, I had the opportunity to do that and uh, was put in touch with them and, and got to do that while I was uh, able, to, able to run this business. So it was a really cool experience. That's awesome. 
Um, yeah, so I guess my my last kind of question, just about all in ACL, um, what kind of advice or recommendation would you have for someone who's considering transitioning or doing some more virtual online training um, in the future? Yeah, so um, what I would say is is to master, like, figure out, you know, what you are really good at and passionate mm -hmm. about. Because um, if you have uh, a unique skill set and a unique passion, I think combining those can, can really help it, you know, explode in, in a way that it wouldn't otherwise. So, you know, I, I think making sure that there's, you know, you, something you can, you can give to people um, that, mm -hmm. that they really need um, and, and something that you feel like is missing out there um, that you're passionate about, I, I think are really the two keys. Awesome. And then I guess I'll just look at my notes. And I had one other question just about, again, all in ACL. So I guess what's the biggest challenge that you've come across so far since you transitioned and more of the online? Honestly, what you just talked about earlier with scheduling, um, okay. it, it like starting with like a blank, like looking at my week and starting at a with like a blank slate and being like, I could I could not work. I could work, you know, like it's like kind of a crazy thing to be just mm -hmm. in charge of your own schedule. Um, and it's almost like enough, uh, you know, enough freedom to drive you crazy. Um, yeah. So it's kind of funny because you think, uh, you know, leaving the clinic and, and working for yourself is like going to be uh, like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll have the freedom to, and flexibility to do whatever I want. But you realize that for it to really work, you have to kind of not give yourself uh, yep. <laughs> freedom and flexibility. So I'm probably a tougher boss uh, on myself than, than, I've, than I've had before mm -hmm. that. All right. Tommy, I've got five questions that I ask all my guests. Are you up for answering them? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So my first question is, what is your biggest key to a successful day? Uh, I, my biggest key to a successful day, aside from what I just said about making sure it's planned, um, mm -hmm. I would say working out in the morning. Um, I've tried to like work out in the afternoon, but it's just really hard to get my day going without having mm -hmm. my workout behind me. What's the ideal time for you? Uh, wake up at six, uh, go to the gym at like 6.45. Okay, nice. Yeah, it's nice to kind of knock it out of the day out of the way at the beginning of the day and you feel like you got something done and kind of have that momentum. I like it. Um, sure. My next question is what's something you wish someone would have told you five years ago that might've made a big impact at the time? Uh, invest in Pfizer. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but uh, um, five years ago, that would have made a big impact. Um, I think just that like, um, things are like going to go, things aren't going to go according to plan, but it's mm -hmm. going to be like a better plan than, than you could expect. I think, you know, realizing that like, if you work hard, that like different opportunities will arise. Um, because that's one thing that you asked about residency earlier. Um, most of the residencies uh, agree to inform you that you've been accepted on the same mm -hmm. day and they pretty much give you one day to accept. Um, so I was like living in New York and found out at like midnight that, you know, I'd been accepted to a residency in Boston and a residency in Delaware and had like 12 hours to make a decision. And, you know, I had a long-term girlfriend who was living in Pennsylvania and I was like, this is like a, bit, a lot of stress. Yeah. Out. So um, that's something to keep in mind as you're applying to residencies. But 
um, yeah, you know, just that it's going to be things won't always go according to plan, but they'll they'll probably work out for the best. Awesome. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think a lot of times, especially PT students, are very very organized, plan like things to go a certain way. It's just having that flexibility. I think is very important. Um, my next question is: Is there any book or product that you've encountered, used over the last three months that you'd like to recommend or has been beneficial for you? Yeah, so I feel like if you talk to enough PTs, you probably had a lot of them say Atomic Habits. So I'm not going to say that, although that is a good one. I'd say Range by David Epstein. Um, mm -hmm. It's called Range Why uh, Generalists Succeed in an Increasingly Specialized World. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how, like, basically having a multitude of skills um, can really help you um to to find success even though we've continued to like niche down which i know that's funny i'm talking about it because yeah. acl acl niche. Niche guy. I, I feel like there's a lot of uh you know something like this success with something like this really requires a lot of from you in terms of you know uh communication skills you know mm -hmm. written skills empathy um you know organization and and just creativity on top of that like scientific you know specific knowledge Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like you can have that one skill, but there's so many other components surrounding it that need to be in play in order for it to be successful. Um, and then, so is there any quote or mantra that you live your life by? Yeah, my, my high school yearbook quote was a, a Mark Twain quote that said, 20 years from now, you'll re regret the things you didn't do more than the things you did do, um, okay. which I try to remember. Yeah, nice. Um, and then last question, signature question of the podcast, Tommy Mandela, what is your favorite snack? That's a tough one. You gave me, you told me that. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, I, I don't have like any super good one, but I'll shout out, um, brownie brittle. If you've never Ooh, had that. Okay. Um, brownie brittle is the truth. I would strongly recommend it. Where can um, I, where can I find it? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like it's it's most anywhere. It's just like okay. like any grocery store you go to, brown. It's like in the snack aisle, like like chip near chips or stuff like that. But I'll add it to my list. Well, Tony, yeah. th thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow on your journey? Yeah, so they could they could find me on Instagram um, at, at all in ACL. I'm in the process of getting you know getting a little more uh, official and making a real website and things mm -hmm. like that. So look for that down the road, but um, as well as any, you know, blo blogs and uh, podcasts I'm on there are often with, with the pre-app guys on the pre-app website. Um, mm -hmm. So you can check them out as well. But right now for the most part, just, just find me on Instagram. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. And uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. If you're watching this live or catching it later. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, John. Really enjoyed yep. it. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Have a good one.